Let's take our Bibles, and if you would, take the Word of God and turn to the book of Acts and chapter 16. Acts uh, chapter 16. If you have a map in your Bible, uh, how many of you have maps in your Bible? Would you raise your hand? All right, most of you. If you want to turn and turn to map that probably has the title something like Paul's Second Missionary Journey, something to that effect, uh, you'll be able to keep track of where Paul is going as we're uh, proceeding here through Acts chapter 16. As we've been going through, uh, I was looking back through the book of Acts when we started. We started in June of 2020. And you say, well, why study through the book of Acts? Well, the book of Acts is the record of the first century church and churches and how the work of God multiplied and how we today are still recipients of the work of God moving forward in the first century. Here we are in the 21st century, and we still see the fruit of the evangelism of the first century churches. And so what we should be interested in as believers who have been born again by the Spirit of God is whatever spirit was in the first century, that we would recapture that spirit and that we would do the same. Now certainly it's a transitional book in the sense that the signs and the wonders and the miracles that were done in the book of Acts were temporary in nature. They were there to confirm the apostles. God gave signs to the apostles. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so we exist today in the 21st century because the foundation was already laid by the apostles with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so we find what is happening. This is God's record for us to know, to study, and that we might be stirred by what is going on there. And so I, I trust that this has been a help and a challenge to us to think about what we find happening here in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 16, we're going to begin reading in verse 11, and we'll read down to verse 15. So Paul finally arrives in what the people might call Europe, but this is Macedonia. Uh, Asia Minor and Macedonia were separated by the Aegean Sea, and so this is new territory for Paul. His second missionary journey, the plan was to go back and to hit those cities where they had started churches, that they had already ordained elders in every church, and they had passed now through those cities again. But again, the Spirit of God would not allow Paul to remain either go north or south, and so he went straight west, but then he reaches Troas, and he doesn't know where to go because God has prevented him from going either north or south, and so he's going to receive a vision from God to go into Macedonia, and that's exactly what he's going to do. And so here this account is when Paul finally goes into Macedonia, and this is actually not typical of the ministry of Paul. Thus far, everywhere Paul went, he went to the city. Typically, if there was a synagogue there, he would first go to the synagogue and he would preach to the Jew first, and then he would preach to the city in a public way. But this ministry here in Macedonia, at least the first ministry in Philippi, is quite different than what Paul has done thus far. So let's read about it, Acts 16, verse 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to... Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, 
and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. Now interesting, that is in Asia. <laughs> Remember, God uh, said you can't go there, can't go there. But then when he goes to Macedonia, the first per person he's going to reach is from Asia. Which worshipped God heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Now as we see here, Paul is on his second missionary journey. As we begin in our text, Paul is going to sail from Troas. If you have the map there in your Bibles, on Paul's second missionary journey, you see Asia Minor all the way to the west side of Asia Minor, right near Mysia, is Troas. And he's going to sail over. Notice he's going to go through the island of Samothracia. You should see that on the map. And then he's going to uh, land, not land, he's not flying, sail or port, there you go, into Neapolis. And then from Neapolis he's going to go to Philippi which is going to be really the first city where Paul is going to minister to. At least he's going to stay there for a certain amount of days. And he's going to reach here what we would refer to as the first convert in Macedonia. The first convert in Macedonia. And as I mentioned here, the ministry of Paul is not in typical fashion as he's done thus far. But I believe the way that Paul did things here, I believe, can apply to all of us. Because up to this point, we see Paul, he goes from city, he goes to the synagogue, and then he preaches publicly. He went to the city of Iconium and Lystra. Remember when he was in Lystra, he preached to the city, to a pagan people who worshipped uh, some of those Greek deities. He preached publicly to them. But here we go, come to Philippi, and there is a personal encounter. Paul is not preaching publicly. He is speaking and conversing with a group of women who had gathered to pray. And as far as I know, we all have the capacity to converse, to speak, to meet with people, and to speak to them. And here we're going to see that Paul is going to speak about spiritual things, and we're going to go there in just a moment. But I want to preach this morning on this, the first convert in Macedonia. Not what you might expect out of the ministry of Paul. Something that I appreciate about the Apostle Paul from the record in Acts is not just that Paul was a great preacher. It was that he was a great Christian. And we may not all be preachers and teachers, but we can all, we can all strive to be Christians that please the Lord in our day-to-day -day life and to take the opportunities that may come across our path to speak of the Lord and to speak of His work on their behalf on the cross. As we consider here the verse, we're going to move through our text verse by verse. We notice in verse 11, notice they lose from Troas, they come straight. Uh, through Samothracia, and uh, that was an island between those uh, two cities. 
And they finally arrived in Neapolis. And notice from there, verse 12, And from thence to Philippi, which is the city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. Now, I want to point out here that the city of Philippi, which is in Macedonia, is first called a colony. Now, it is interesting here because if you would do a word study, you would find that this is the only time that this word is used in the New Testament. And so we really don't have a way to compare what this word means compared to another use in the New Testament. But as we think about what is a colony, well, a colony, if you just look at a definition of a colony using Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, uh, older dictionary, it is a company of people that have been transplanted from their mother country into another province or country to inhabit it. So that is a colony. So this word was used in reference here to, uh, to the context to a Roman colony. We are in Macedonia. We would say Greece where right the Greek Empire came from. This is the center of that, Macedonia. But the Roman Empire is in charge. The Roman Empire is in charge at least of Macedonia up to this point. And so Philippi was a Roman colony. Uh, the city of Philippi, therefore, was occupied by mostly Roman citizens that came from Rome or uh, from present-day Italy. Now, I want to give us a few things about the city of Philippi. The city of Philippi was located about nine miles from the sea. It was named after Philip II of Macedonia, who was the father of Alexander the Great. During the time of the Emperor Augustus, this city became a Roman colony, a military settlement of Roman soldiers. This colony was planted initially for the purpose of controlling the district which had been conquered by the Roman Empire. Uh, Philippi was in some sorts, it was also referred to as a miniature Rome. Uh, under the municipal law of Rome, and it was governed by military officers, Philippi was a bastion of the Roman way of life. So although you're in Macedonia, Philippi was a very, cultural speak, culturally speaking, a very Roman city. Uh, like the Roman roads, the colonies established by Rome were part of the system of fortifi fortification, and that would be throughout the Roman Empire, to secure the empire against insurgents and invaders. And so the inhabitants of Philippi they all called themselves Romans. And we're going to talk about this a little later in the same chapter because Paul is going to be imprisoned and there's going to be a conflict because they did not, he who was a Roman citizen, they did not treat him as a Roman citizen. And so we'll talk about them when we get there. But let's think about the culture in Philippi. The official language in Philippi was Latin. But everyday tongue was Greek. Uh, very few Jews actually lived in Philippi because it was a military colony. The Romans, for the most part, would, were, were all steeped in paganism. Uh, there would be pagan temples, probably from Philippi, which sat on a mountain or a mount. You could see temples uh, scour the land, uh, miles across the land. Philippi was crowded with Roman houses Roman officials, Roman soldiers, and Roman merchants. There was really little to no faith in God in that part of the world. There was a spirit of even mockery towards anything 
that uh, resembled goodness. Many of these Roman colonies were filled with vice and immorality. And really, anywhere you found a Roman colony, you would find immorality and vice. And up to this point, I'm saying this because up to this point, everywhere where Paul has gone, he has gone first to a synagogue in the city. But it is evident there is no synagogue in Philippi. It's a Roman city made up of mainly Roman citizens who are part of this colony. As we look in our text, notice again in verse 12, uh, the Bible says we were, at the end of verse 12, we were in that city abiding certain days. Now again, this is a little strange for Paul because when Paul first arrived in Philippi, we find that his ministry is really different than what it had previously been. In many parts of Asia Minor, Paul had first gone to the synagogues and he had preached the gospel there. He would then turn to the city and he would preach to all who would hear under the sound of his voice. There is really no, as far as we see here, there is no immediate preaching mentioned here at all. In Philippi, Paul decided, the Bible says, to abide certain days. That means this, that basically Paul went through the city and just observed He stayed there, conversed with people. There was no preaching. And so here it seems that Philippi, compared to what has been done thus far, it seems that the ministry at Philippi was a slow start. The word here, abiding, basically means that Paul remained, he continued, he tarried in the city for certain days. Although nothing happened, Paul was waiting for an opportunity to minister the gospel. He knew God had led them here. We don't know the amount of days that Paul abode in the city. But I want us to think here just in the idea of the mind of Paul as he comes to Philippi. It's a different type of city, a different types of ministry, no synagogue in the, uh, in the city, very few Jews, if any. It's not what Paul probably expected. You see, the ministry of Philippi was first a ministry of patience, he had to wait. For God to open doors, for God to give opportunity. The ministry of Philippi also uh, was not uh, immediate. Paul did not see immediate opportunities. We also see that the ministry of Philippi really began by observation. They, They were there for a certain amount of days. We come to verse 13 and the Bible says, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside. No, This is why we believe that there is no synagogue in Philippi because we know intuitively that every time wherever there was a synagogue, Paul would first go there on the Sabbath to do what? To preach the gospel to them. And here there is no synagogue evidently. And so on the Sabbath day, he goes out of the city by a riverside where the Bible says where prayer was wont to be made. And he sat down and spake unto the women which we resorted thither. Now, Here it is evident, as I mentioned, that there was no synagogue in the city of Philippi. That was always Paul's first inclination to preach the gospel. We saw that in the first missionary journey. There would be no change change in ministry, not a change in a message, but a change in approach for Paul. In other words, the gospel is still at the forefront of Paul's ministry. But he has to really approach it differently than he has before. 
So it's not a change in ministry. It's not a change in a message. It's really a change in approach. The gospel was the focus of Paul's ministry. However, he was here in a city without a synagogue. Now, there are two possibilities that can be offered. First of all, either there was not enough Jewish families to form a synagogue. There had to be, typically at that time, enough families to form a synagogue. And if you didn't have a certain amount of families, I think it was five, then you could not form a synagogue. Or they were forbidden to erect a synagogue in the city of Philippi because it was under Roman control. So one of those two possibilities, uh, there's, it's either one of those. And so as a substitute, during that time, places for prayer were erected by the Jews in an area in the vicinity of cities and towns, typically by a riverside. These places of prayer were basically simple enclosures made up of stone or even sometimes in a grove of trees where people could retire as a place of separation from the world for a time of prayer and worship of Jehovah God. That is among the Jews. The Bible, notice the expression in verse 13, where prayer was wont to be made. What does that mean? Well, the word want means here, it was customary. It means it was as usual. And so evidently Paul, while he was there in Philippi waiting, he probably heard that there was a place outside of the city of Philippi where probably Jews or religious people met and prayed. And so he deemed that place as a good opportunity to begin evangelizing. Now Paul had heard of this place of prayer and there he met people, and then he, the Bible says here, he uh, spoke with them, so he engaged in a conversation with the people there. But this is what it tells us about Paul. Nothing has happened in Philippi, but Paul is looking for an opportunity. And I wonder as, as we think about our own lives, and as we think about first century Christianity, are we looking for opportunities to witness? This is exactly what Paul did. How are we doing with that? Are we looking for opportunities to share the gospel? Are we more concerned about our daily tasks, about our schedules, about our errands, that we completely ignore or neglect the opportunities that might come our way? Nothing had happened thus far. But he hears that there's a prayer group by the river. And he said, well, that might be a good opportunity. And by the way, when he gets there, he's not going to preach. He's just going to converse. Uh, we see, if you notice here, um, at the end of verse 13, And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So here Paul and his co-laborers in ministry came to this designated area for prayer. They first, the Bible says, they sat down among those who had gathered themselves together. And as they sat down there, they began to speak to the women that had congregated there together for a time of prayer. Now we know that, uh, uh, that Paul is not preaching here because the Bible says that later Lydia was overhearing the conversation. So it was not a public preaching. He was just conversing with a group of women and Lydia overheard what Paul was saying. Uh, we see here, notice, um, uh, this is 
Again, different than what we have observed thus far in Paul's ministry. Paul was not ashamed, we know this, to preach the gospel publicly and firmly wherever he went. However, this was not a time for Paul to preach. Again, why are they going there? For prayer. They began a casual conversation with those women who were present. Now, how are we to view the evangelism ministry of the church? There is certainly, there is, uh, in Paul's ministry, there was public preaching in the synagogue and to religious crowds. We know that there was public preaching in the cities uh, among pagan crowds. But here we find another aspect of evangelism, and this is they casually spoke of the things of God to the people that they came in contact with. And I wonder how many times have we lost opportunity to speak of the things of God. You see, no doubt they had been looking for an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ. They found that opportunity in this encounter on the Sabbath by a riverside during a time of prayer. Interestingly, the first convert did not come as a result of the direct conversation. Lydia overheard Paul. Now that's interesting to me. You remember, when he was in Asia, he wanted to go north in Asia Minor. He wanted to go south, and the Bible says the Holy Ghost prevented him from doing that. He forbade him. And so, finally, he gets a vision. He says, go into Macedonia. He goes into Macedonia. He has not had the opportunity to preach. And finally, he converses with some women that are gathering there. Those women don't get saved, but the other woman who overhears it receives the message. You see, what is that teaching us? It is not necessarily about that which we can produce and about how we can make a difference, but it's about us being faithful to God, being obedient to God, and then God does wonderful things even when we don't personally have an impact in that specific way. Verse 14, the Bible says, And a certain woman named Lydia, so the conversation Paul is speaking, and Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So this woman here evidently is not from Philippi originally. She was from Thyatira. Now obviously she has a home in Philippi, but that's not what she, where she's from originally. She's here obviously for business because the Bible says she was a seller of purple. And Thyatira was again a province in Asia where Paul had previously been forbidden to go. Uh, in uh, verse 6, notice in verse 6 of chapter 16. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia... Isn't it remarkable that Paul is able to reach this woman who was from the same place where Paul had attempted to preach the gospel to? Paul had a desire to preach in that area. He wanted to reach those people, yet God brought someone to Paul from that very same area and that part of the world right to where he was. You see, Lydia was a businesswoman. The Bible says she was a seller of purple. Thyatira was famous in the ancient world for the purple dye that was produced there. And so obviously she had some business connection between Thyatira and Philippi, probably helping 
the Roman garrisons and soldiers that were there with the color purple. And so notice here what Lydia is doing. She is a businesswoman. She is from Thyatira. Again, she's coming out for that time of prayer. But notice what she is doing. She worshipped God. Now, it's evident here that Lydia was not a born-again believer. But she did have some level of spiritual interest. And we have to be reminded that there is still a level of spiritual interest in our nations and in our communities. However, spiritual interest does not necessarily mean that people are saved and born-again Christians. This woman was not, although she was dedicated. She came apart on the Sabbath to pray and to worship God. The word worship, which is what Lydia was doing, means to revere and to adore. So, for her to worship God meant that she humbled herself before Jehovah God. And let me say this, religious zeal and a mind committed to spiritual things does not mean that she was a child of God. You see, we have to be careful just because some of us say, well, I go to church and I'm religious and, and I read the Bible, therefore I'm... No, not necessarily. Remember when, when Paul wrote to the church at Rome concerning the Jews who were non-believers, he says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear record, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They worship the one true and living God. But not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness in Christ, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So, this woman is, has a zeal of God, but up to this point, not according to knowledge. All of Bible revelation centers on one person. That's the person of Jesus Christ. All of it does. She did not have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. She had the knowledge of Jehovah God through perhaps her Jewish heritage, but she did not have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so there was enough knowledge there to condemn her, but not enough knowledge to save her. The Bible says here, and by the way, many today have a zeal for God, but their zeal is misplaced. Why? Because if the zeal is in ignorance, it is misplaced. The Bible says she worshipped, notice verse 14, she worshipped God, heard us, she heard us. Now, Lydia was there to worship God. She heard what Paul was saying to the other women that had gathered there. Her time of worship was interrupted, evidently, by Paul's conversation. Although Paul was not directly speaking to her, she, she became interested in what was going on. And so the question here is, is what did she hear? Well, the Bible doesn't say, but, well, wait a minute. We have Paul's sermons. Now, Paul is not preaching, but he is conversing. But I can guarantee you, if he's conversing about Christ, he's going to say the same thing, although not in an audible, speaking out, preaching voice. He is conversing, but the message is the same. So, can I let you in on the conversation? Go back with me to Acts 13. Acts 13. Verse 26. 
All right, so we're going to do a substitute story time. Paul is he's not preaching audibly, not going in the synagogue, not preaching in the city, but he is he's sitting down. And he is speaking to the women that are gathered there. And he is saying something like this. I don't know what he's saying, but we know what he has said already. Acts 13. Verse 26. Ladies, now I'm going to paraphrase some of those because in that case, Paul is preaching, but here he's speaking to the ladies. Ladies, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God. Did they fear God? These ladies there? Well, obviously they were praying, worshiping God. To you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not... That's, they knew not Christ. Nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning Him. You've heard of Jesus Christ that died. The, the Jews condemned Him of whom the prophets wrote about. And though they found no cause of death in Him, yet desired they Pilate that He should be slain. There was no just cause for them to slay Christ, but yet they slayed Him. He went about doing good. Verse 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in, the, in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. Have you heard about that? And he was seen many days, and them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. That, that's us. We're his witnesses. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that He hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm. Now, they're familiar with the Bible. Well, what they know the second psalm. What does it say? Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou art my, uh, uh, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, fell on asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. You remember those psalms that you read, ladies? Those, those psalms that you read. Well, David died. So those psalms are not written about David. They're written about the one who's coming after David. Verse 37, But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. They were writing about Christ. Verse 38, Be it known unto you therefore, ladies, that through this man, Jesus, it's preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by Him all that believe are justified from all things from which He could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware therefore lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers and wanderers and perish. For I work a work in your day, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. So don't be uh, uh, the fulfillment of the prophecy of the prophets that says that a messenger is going to come deliver you that message that is rooted in the Old Testament message and reject that message. Now the ladies that were gathered around Paul 
Think about those words. He's saying to them, through this man that I'm speaking unto you, you can receive the forgiveness of sins. Lydia's listening. Forgiveness of sins? Uh, Then Paul says, by him all that believe are justified from all things. She knows what the word justified means. Means no fault, no sin. You're declared righteous by the judge. He says you've committed no crimes. You're not guilty. How can one be justified? From which we could not be justified by the law of Moses. So how can we be justified? By Jesus Christ. What did he talk about? He died on the cross. He was buried. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And through Christ you can receive the forgiveness of sins. So we need not wonder what Paul shared with Lydia. It shows us plainly what he shared everywhere Paul went. The Bible says, if you return to Acts 16, notice with me. Verse 14, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, I want you to notice the steps, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. The gospel was heard. Her heart was opened. And she attended, that means she made a decision based upon what was said. Decision to what? Well, remember, the Jews had thought that you had to be justified by keeping the law of Moses. Well, in her frustration, she knows that she cannot keep the law of Moses perfectly every time without failure for the rest of her life. That's why she's there worshiping God. And Paul says, justification is not found in the law of Moses. That can only condemn you. Justification is found in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ when He died on the cross. She heard that. She heard the gospel. God opened her heart. We know that God convicts and He's working in men. Even as Paul is speaking, He was not speaking directly to her, but God was working in her heart. Conviction, what does the Spirit of God do? He convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so God, Paul doesn't even know it, but God is working in her heart, opening her heart to the gospel, and her heart is open, and she attends to the things that are spoken. She makes the decisions. What is that? She believes that Jesus Christ is the sufficient Savior that will forgive her of all of her sins. She knows that the message is true that John the Baptist, when he says there's coming one after me whose shoes I'm not, shoes I'm not worthy to lose, and when he saw Jesus Christ, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And that's what Jesus did. He was there to take away the sin of the world. And so Lydia, she, she hears that. She attends to what Paul says she believes. Now, how do we know that she believes? That's a good question. You can't see faith. The Bible says, verse 15 of Acts 16, And when she was baptized, and her household, she besought us, saying, 
If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. She was baptized. You say, where? Well, remember they were meeting by the river. That's where the place of prayer was. Immediately upon receiving uh, the message of the gospel, she believed and she made her fit, she demonstrated with a public profession her faith in Christ by being baptized. That's what baptism is. Now she wouldn't know having a Jewish heritage, but if, if you were a Jew, if somebody wanted to be a Jew and to join the Jewish religion, they had to be baptized into the Jewish religion. But here, this woman who's a Jew says, well, I should not be baptized into the Jewish religion. I should be baptized into Jesus Christ and His church. You see, baptism doesn't save you. We know that. There's plenty of scripture to speak of that. But baptism does testify of your faith in Christ. Nobody can see your faith, but they see your actions. When you submit yourself in obedience to God, you're unashamed. The Bible says, whosoever believeth in His name shall not be ashamed. There is no shame when you know that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all your sin. And you can't wait to tell people, He has forgiven me of my sin. My, my heart that was black uh, by sin and wickedness. He has washed it by His blood. And now it's as white as snow. And I want everybody to know the change that He's made in my life. She would not only be the first convert in Philippi. She would also provide a place for the church to start. We know as we continue the chapter, we'll study that, but Paul is going to be in prison at Philippi. But if you notice, the very last verse of chapter 16 says this, And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, where? In the house of Lydia. They comforted them and departed. So the church formed... First convert was Lydia. She provided her home as a meeting place for the first church in Europe, the first church in Macedonia. Isn't it interesting the work of God that he did? Paul didn't see result from his preaching. He didn't even see result from his direct conversation. But somebody overheard what he said and came to saving faith in Christ. You know... Sometimes we might think to ourselves, well, I just can't make a difference. I'm not the pastor. I just don't feel comfortable uh, going out and evangelizing. The truth is we all have opportunities to witness. And we must, as believers, do our best to be obedient to God. And then to trust Him with the results and see the wonderful things that He will do. Despite our inabilities, our short shortcomings... In our failures. One of the greatest joys as a pastor is to be able to go out and witness, but to have somebody with me to go and witness and to see the first time that somebody attempts to share the gospel. Stumbling over their words, flipping through the Bible, I don't know, I can't find the verse. That is a thrill to me. Now, you didn't know that, but I'm just telling you. Why? Because despite your inabilities, you say, I want to witness. The responsibility of 
being a witness is given to everyone of whoever knows God. That's why Paul says, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as, in, as me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. And that was evident in Paul's life, not in pub, just public preaching, but in private conversing. If you pray for God to give you an opportunity, God will give you an opportunity. Just ask Him. He will. The Bible says if we ask anything, anything according to His will, He heareth us. And we know that He hear us and He will give us what we ask. Is it God's will that we witness to all creature? That's what the command is? It is. Do we not think that God is going to answer that prayer if it is according to His will? He will. So let's pray. You know how this church is going to grow? Not because of the preacher. But when everybody takes a personal responsibility to be a witness.